And we are back for another part train. Matt, what's going on? Strat can't join us this morning. He just had a newborn. Congrats, Axel. Congrats, Easter. Strat. What a name. Baby, baby Axel. Axel Rose? <laughs> kid's, kid's going to be a stud. <laughs> Axel Easter. He's not even a week old. Congrats, Strat. But, guys, the man that can put the golf world in a tizzy with a single tweet and the man that said, I don't do research to support my opinions. I do research to discover my opinions. That's Brandel Chambly, everyone. We had Brandel. This was a great episode. If you like the Masters, if you watch the Masters, if you plan on betting on the Masters, this is a must listen. It was an incredible episode. He was very candid, very courteous to our time. I mean, he gave us a lot of time. And uh, the guy is just a knowledge dropper. Everybody, I think everybody's going to really enjoy this episode. I mean, he talked about why this could be the greatest Masters of all time. He talks about Tiger versus Phil, why DJ probably won't win, why Patrick Reed should wear red and black on Sundays, was not happy about that one, and his Masters <laughs> favorite, Hint, it's not Tiger, Phil, Rory, or Spieth, and then he gives us a dark horse as well, plus much more, much more. We had to let this go as long um, as he was willing just because of all the great nuggets that he gave you guys. But, um, yeah, I say we just get right to it. What do you say? Absolutely, Ev. Let's do this thing. All right, let's do it. All right, and we're excited to welcome Mr. Well, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Brandel Chambly from Golf Channel. Welcome, Brandel. How's it going? Ah, it's going great. Uh, nice to talk to you guys. It's a run up to the Masters, so everybody's got Masters fever. I'm sure you guys are. Uh, afflicted similarly so i'm just sitting here right now filling up legal pads i was looking up green jackets (laughs) on ebay last night i do it every year haven't bought one yet but i just kind of wanted to be that guy at a watch party wearing a replica jacket but you can say i'm feeling the fever a little bit (laughs) you gotta win one first Uh, now you know (laughs) that's funny well i usually go on StubHub this time of year and buy a ticket or two for friends or family or somebody invariably somebody needs a ticket so i bite the bullet and buy a ticket for somebody this time of year but uh, thus far i haven't had to do it but uh, I, I can't even imagine i would i would think because tiger woods is playing so well that ticket prices which are ordinarily pretty high anyway have skyrocketed yeah do we need to talk to golf channel to get you a couple tickets for friends and family i don't think you need to be going on StubHub. <laughs> Hey, it's it's not that easy. Even when I played in the Masters, uh, oh, I had bet. to buy my tickets. So um, I think since then they've they've taken to giving the tickets to the players. But when I played in the Masters, you you only were allowed eight tickets and you had to buy them. So wow. everybody went to the hip. Well, Brando, you kind of set us up for our first fun question. We always like to do this with our guests. We start you off with something a little bit fun just to help you ease into it. Okay. Speaking of hmm. Masters excitement. When Tiger plays well, everybody goes into a tizzy, right? And it's kind of hard to contain your excitement. Now, um, if Tiger was to make a putt on 18 to win this year's Masters, I've got three scenarios for you that would capture your level of excitement. I want you to pick one of these three scenarios that you think would capture your level of excitement, okay? Okay. Number one, throw David Duvall into Ray's Creek and then do a cannonball right after him. That's number one. Although, don't dive, and it's shallow, so don't dive. Uh, number two, rub a pimento cheese sandwich into the camera and yell, sweet Jesus. Or, number three, run into Butler Cabin while giving Frank Noblo a piggyback ride and give Tiger and Jim Nance a big high five. <laughs> wow, a lot, of, a lot of pressure here, Randall. <laughs> Uh, I think only the pimento cheese one would keep me from getting fired. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning towards that one. Okay. Um, although the last one sounds very tempting. Um, you know, I, uh, the last one sounds like a lot of fun, but I have a feeling that that would be my walk-off song. Um, as would <laughs> me throwing in David Duvall in Ray's Creek. Not so much because I might get fired, but because he might just kill me. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm leaning towards that pimento cheese thing. Although I've never eaten a pimento cheese sandwich, I've never even had one in my hand. So, really? oh wow, that would be the, that would be the first time I ever had one. But uh, well, you know what? You know, it could like, be a great way for you to go out. You know, that'd be a yeah, hell of a story. Yeah. I can think of better ways. You know, everybody has <laughs> a dream scenario, but um, you know, I I I think we all want Tiger Woods to play well. Um, I you know, I just I enjoyed watching golf play at a level I'd never seen before, you know, and, and I'm, 
And when you're, we were in the middle of it, I don't, and none of us could, you just couldn't fully appreciate what you were seeing. And now that, you know, he's been sort of robbed of his game and his physical skills. We all want to see it at least one more time. Right. That's, that's, just, that's the thing we keep saying. It's like, we just want to see it one more time. I'm sure we don't want to see it one more time as bad as he does. So, so speaking of physical skills, before we get into the real masters talk, we got one question here. We've got to, we've got to bring up to It's about Dustin Johnson. All right. You mentioned earlier this year at the Tournament of Champions, he had the greatest shot of all time you had ever seen in the final round. 433-yard drive. He was in the heat of contention. He hit it to half a foot. Now, this is your chance to come clean, Brandel, and say maybe it wasn't the greatest shot of all time. Because while we loved it, we still think Tiger, for example, at the Canadian Open, 6-iron was a better shot. Do you still stand by that being the greatest shot you've ever seen? Yeah, I do, you know, and, and look, Tiger pushed that six in, you know, so, you know, um, you know, there's, there's, there's just, I mean, if Tiger was sitting right here, he'd tell you he pushed it. He wasn't and, going for the, floor. you know, and I've seen lots of six irons out of bunkers to Island greens. Um, yeah. you know, I, I think people that look, it's very easy to argue that it wasn't the greatest shot. Right. Um, it's very easy to argue that. And, uh, you know, I think, Rory said it was hyperbole and, um, you know, I, I think calling it hyperbole is hyperbole to be honest with you. Um, there's never been a shot, um, hit by a number one player, uh, who eventually went on to win that had a greater dispersion between his shot and everybody else's. I mean, the, the average second shot that day was 130 yards into the green, That's 130 yards. You know, so, I mean, with one swing of the club, he, he was 130 yards different than, right. you know, the, the average shot. And, you know, people love to say that it didn't mean anything. And it's like, well, people who say that have never, A, um, had a chance to win a, an event on Sunday. It's, it definitely means a lot. And you're definitely nervous. But, but beyond that, he was not just driving off into the abyss. He had to drive it between the left rough, which is a lost ball, if you get 10 yards left of the left rough where it starts, you get into pineapple territory where you lose the ball and a bunker on the right. So he had to drive it at about 360 yards, 370 yards between a 10, 12 yard area. Uh, he had to get it right through that gap. Um, so, and he knew he knew, absolutely knew where the hole was and he absolutely knew what he was capable of doing. So, you know, I, um, I've seen, I've seen more important shots, you know, sure. Um, sure. But I've never seen a shot that was as important by a number one player on Sunday with a greater dispersion. So, you know, I, um, I've argued this point, you know, many times since I called it the greatest shot. Initially, I said it was the greatest shot I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the more I dug into it and did research on it, I was like, well, there's never been a shot that was hit anywhere near as good as that. I mean, nowhere near. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I promise you there was the dispersion between the one eye and the Jack Nicklaus hit on Sunday of the 1972 U.S. Open wasn't 130 yards. The hardest thing to do in golf is hit it long and straight. And when I see somebody hit it that long and that straight on Sunday, where there is an element of risk, you know, he just lost a big lead the last time he played. And he also happened to be the number one player in the world. And, you know, cool factor measures into that as well. It was a damn cool shot. So there you go. I'm not <laughs> going to nudge off that one being the greatest shot ever. All right. He gave him a chance. Come clean. He stuck with it. Pretty, stuck to his guns. He's, he doubled down. I love it. All right. So, Brandel, um, we just had Keith Mitchell on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, the week after we had him, you know, he finished second. And he's playing well. He thanked us for sending a mojo. So, just a heads up. You're probably going to have the greatest week broadcasting the Masters <laughs> coming off of this. But we got a lot of positive feedback about what we called grass talk with Keith, where I always wanted to be one of those grass guys that could talk like Tiger in his press conference about, you know, how I can't putt on Poana, but and how Kukuya sticks and how Bermuda is great for my putting and all these different things. So because 
our audience loved the grass talk so much with Keith. He went through all of them. Can you give us a bit of a grass overview of Augusta National, what it requires around the greens, and the type of game it rewards? Well, Augusta, first of all, you know, it, it rewards bold play. You know, it's, um, it's you know, most, most tournaments are, you know, at least major championships are about taking, you know, playing by the percentages, so to speak, um, taking most of the risk out of it. But at Augusta National, you just cannot get around it. You, you have to face um, your fears and you have to, you have to make bold plays. Otherwise you're just because somebody is on somebody. So it encourages bold play, which leads into players that hit the ball high, which leads into players that work at both directions. So more than any other major championship, it, it produces um, a golfer with great imagination and power and, uh, and boldness. So, you know, the Masters just gives us Phil Mickelson. I mean, he is, he's exactly the type of player that that golf tournament, that golf course brings the best out in, Arnold Palmer. Um, the, uh, the grass, you know, the grass that you face there is unlike any other place, although agronomy has improved such that more and more places try to get their ground. I mean, that's the standard. Augusta Life is, you know, the most oft repeated analogy um, in the history of, of agronomy, Augusta like I wanted Augusta green. I wanted Augusta like, so, you know, more and more places are, are taking their, their turf down to the level that Augusta has it at, which requires, you know, a lot of husbandry by uh, the green superintendents, but no, you've got to be able to pitch off a putty green. Basically that's how tight the turf is there. So there's really no margin for error. So, not only is it a you know bold play, it's a, it's a guy with a phenomenal short game, you know, who absolutely controls the bottom of pitch shots perfectly. You know, that's why Seve Ballesteros and mm-hmm. Jose Maria Alfaro and Jordan Speed play so well there. It's because they're they're Ben Hogan of pitch shots. So yeah, I mean, from an agronomy standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, from a competitive standpoint there is no tournament there is no golf course that even comes close to what augusta national gives golf you finished tied for 18 at the masters in 1999 you know you had a great experience there playing as a playing professional so now as, as a golf channel analyst how do you um use your experience as a player effectively to, yeah. to, the, um, to the viewership well i was i was fortunate that um you know my my good friend at augusta national um, when I played practice around there, it's a fellow by the name of um, Glenn Day. And Glenn Day was best friends with Jack Nicholas. Um, they're sort of an odd couple, so to speak, but uh, but they were best buddies. And Glenn Day had gone into Jack Nicholas uh, and took the Augusta Yards book and threw it at Jack. And I mean, jokingly put it in, in his desk and said, All right, take me through the golf course. And so Jack you know, went through every single shot with Glenn Day. We're playing a practice round somewhere and Glenn's telling me that Jack did this. And I'm like, well, listen, you and I are playing practice rounds at Augusta National and we're getting that book out. We're going through it shot by shot. So, you know, Jack talked about, you know, where to drive it, where the best angle was on every tee shot and what shot shape to play into what specific part of every single green. So, you know, like, for example, on six, when the pin is back left, you can go right at it, which brings, you know, a short side miss into play to the left. Or you can use that that tier on the right and, you know, shape a soft draw at that tier and get it to feed in off that hill. Off number one, you know, you want to hit a high sort of soft cut, sort of center right um, and have it just you know, let that hill, that sort of valley, that hill, stop it center right. And you don't dare take on those left pins. I mean, you certainly don't with a six iron. Maybe you did with a short iron, but uh, I never did get a short iron in the number one, really. But, you know, every single hole location, if the pin's back right on 10, you miss in the left bunker. Um, if it's, I'm sorry, on two. If it's back right on two, you miss it in the left bunker. If it's back left on two, you blow it right. Um, unless you can get there in two, obviously, um, you know, there's just, 
all these sorts of nuances about every single hole location. Um, so I felt like when I played there that I knew the golf course inside and out, you know, I mean, I shot 69 the first round, but, and you know, look, it it sounds crazy to say this, but it didn't feel that special to me. It didn't feel that spectacular to me. I just played a good solid round of golf, um, because I, I had no doubt about what shot to play or where to hit it or, you know, what the best angle was. And, and so since then, you know, as I've gone into TV, you know, I go back and I look at, basically I chart every single shot that's hit on TV. And then I, I follow those shots to their nth degree. You know, I, I, I look at the history of every player, how often they hit similar shots. You know, do they hit it high? Do they hit it low? Do they have a lot of spin? Do they not have a lot sure. of spin? Um, what shot shape do they have? And, and then I, you know, I just, um, you know, I have all these spreadsheets and I, I uh, break it down for every single player so that, you know, when I start talking about a specific player, rather than say, you know, oh, he's got a, you know, a great chance to win the Masters, I can say specifically why he has a great chance and specifically why he doesn't have a great chance. Um, so, you know, it, it's there's a whole lot more work that goes into knowing everything you need to know about every single player than there is to play the golf course. I can tell you that. You, you talk a lot about, and I think it's well known that the, a lot of the guys who've had success at Augusta can hit the ball high. Um, a lot of guys over the years who hit it low don't. But the game's changed a lot these days, and a lot of guys hit it so long but maybe don't shape it both ways as well. At this point of the game, Brandel, has the, has the shorter hitter, has the you know a shorter hitter who can shape the ball, is he, does he have a chance at the Masters anymore? Um, or guys who can just cut all these corners now, um, truly always the favorites. Yeah. I mean, the conditions, you know, when they differ from the norm, so to speak, then they, you know, depending upon the conditions, they allow players that otherwise wouldn't contend there to play well there. You know, what comes to mind is Mike Weir winning in 2003 sure. uh, and Zach Johnson winning there in 2007. You know, you wouldn't have thought that, Mike Weir was long enough or um, versatile, versatile enough, um, even though he was a hell of a player at that point in his career uh, and having a hell of a year in 2003, um, you just wouldn't have thought that it would have played into his hands. Same thing with Zach Johnson. He hit the ball too low, uh, too flat a swing, too strong a grip, those kinds of things. Um, but the golf course played really, really hard in 2007, and it played really, really slow and wet and soggy in 2003. So with the forecast for next week, it's supposed to rain every single day. Right. Um, you know, you do start to look at, you know, some shorter hitters and think, well, maybe they've got, you know, you start to look at a player like a Kevin Kisner and think, okay, you know, maybe his flat ball flight will have a chance, but otherwise, you know, one, you know, you, you pretty much, you look at the top 15 players in the world. That's where the winner comes from almost, you know, without, without hesitation, you know, over the last five or six years, it's, it's a player that's ranked in the top 15 in the world. Um, it's a player who's, who's on great form, um, that they're on their way up, not on their way down and is in complete control of their game. And you're right. I mean, because of the nature of the golf course, it's more often than not, it's, it's a player who hits the ball high. Um, it's a player who hits the ball, it drives the ball great. You know, people would love to say that you don't have to drive the ball that well to win at Augusta National, but that's nothing to be further from the truth. Five of the last six years, the winner there has led in strokes gain off the tee going into the Masters. Um, so, you know, there you, you, go. you absolutely need to be in the right spot to have a shot at uh, putting yourself in the right place to have the right putt at Augusta National and errors are compounded. I said back in December that this is going to be the greatest golf season in history. And for that to happen, good call. We probably, well, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, and for that to happen, we probably need to have the greatest masters ever. And now Matt challenged me last night, greatest masters ever. You could make an argument. How do I define that? Let's just say most exciting. 
right? You've got old generation versus new generation, everything we've wanted to see for the last probably four years. Um, number one, do you agree that this could be the greatest, most exciting Masters ever? And then if your answer is yes, could you give us your Sunday scenario, whether that's your final pairing, guys firing up the leaderboard, um, what do you see as, as needing to happen to make that the most exciting Masters in history? Yeah, A, I do agree that this could be, you know, it's got a chance to be the greatest Masters ever. Um, and that's a tough battle. You know, that's, you know, 1975, I, I think I said last week on the air that, you know, this the last time we had um, players at different stages of their career, you know, superstars at different stages of the career who were all playing well was 1975. You know, you had an up and coming, um, Johnny Miller and a, sort of an established Tom Weiskopf and, you know, the middle aged aging greatest player ever, Jack Nicholas. And, and it culminated in what some people call the greatest masters ever. But the Masters, you know, again, it brings the best out and the best players. You don't even have to go back that far. You go to 2001, and on that Sunday, Tiger Woods was going for his fourth major in a row. He was paired with Phil Mickelson. And in the group in front of him was David Duvall and Ernie Els. And on the back nine, all of them had a chance. And they were all tied. You know, I think David, Phil, and Tiger were all tied through – 15 holes, something like that. So the Masters gives us these fabulous scenarios. But, you know, I think for for it to be the greatest Masters ever, to have a chance, you know, Tiger and Phil have to be probably paired together, but they have to be neck and neck um, for sure. And Rory's got to be uh, in the mix. And, I mean, if you've got those three, sure. then you've pretty, pretty much got everything you need. But beyond that, it would be great to have you know, a Jordan Spieth and a Dustin Johnson and a Justin Thomas. If you, you know, if the leaderboard's got those six or seven names on it, um, you know, it's it's top shelf stuff. I mean, that's 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 what we're that's what we're um, in store for here. I mean, I, I I I can't imagine any scenario where you know three or four of those names are not factoring into the the tournament on Sunday. It's just the way that place plays. And then, you know, I haven't even mentioned the John Roms and Justin Roses, um, you know, I mean, and the Sergio Garcia, who's still playing fabulous. You know, I haven't even, I haven't even talked about those players. So, you know, you start to consider those. And, and, and again, it is almost every single year, it's the top 15 players in the world that are battling it out there. Um, of course, that might be a little different with Tiger Woods being, you know, ranked outside the top hundred, but, um, and I haven't even talked about Bubba Watson. He's on fire. So I agree. This, this has the potential to be, you know, one of the greatest years in the history of golf. Um, because that's, that's the kind of, uh, interest that Tiger Woods, you know, brings to the game. First of all, but the fact that, you know, it's late in his career and Phil is, you know, sort of in a cage fight with father time. Um, and right now, you know, he's doing his best Conor McGregor imitation. Um, you know, I, I think that's what we're in store for. And that's why the golf world is, and the sporting world is so excited. Well, Brandon, just hearing you go through those scenarios, I'm literally about to throw David Duvall in Ray's Creek. I, I can barely contain myself. <laughs> okay. <I'm... laughs> David Duvall's got a tough streak in him. You know, you better, I, yeah, I, I'm I, ready. I caution you against that. You Brilliant. better get a running start. I'm ready. Double D, I'm ready. All right. You've really articulated. There's Augusta brings in a lot of players, and it's going to be a very exciting tournament. But if we can, we want to run down a few players with you, and we're simply going to ask you if you think they're a contender or a pretender for this year. For the, you know, that doesn't mean they're a pretender generally, but if you've got to really kind of narrow down some of your picks a little bit based on these guys we want to hear. So I'm going to read off a name of a player, and you're going to say contender or you're going to say pretender. All right, Tiger Woods. Contender. Absolutely. He needs to come there driving the golf ball better. You know, that's, that's the one part of his game that, you know, is not back and he's still struggling with, but every other facet of his game, you know, he's never, he's never pitched the ball better. You know, I mean, he has done his best to make me eat my words, um, saying that he had the yips chipping certainly looked like the yips to me, but it, it couldn't look further from the yips. You know, he's, uh, and the statistic that measures how close you hit your 
your chip shots. There's only one player on the PGA Tour, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who's chipping the ball closer to the hole on average than Tiger Woods. So he's gone from, and even at his best, right, when he was when he was dominating the tour, people would say he had the greatest short game. Um, and that that's just that just wasn't true, you know. He was he was good, but he was not a great pitcher of the golf ball. Sure. Um, the 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 situation and the moment made his pitching seem better and his putting made his pitching seem better, but he's never ever pitched the golf ball better than he's pitched it right now. So, um, he's an absolute contender. He could win. Justin Rose. He's probably my favorite. Uh, you know, sure. he's, uh, he's got every single thing he needs to play well there. Uh, he's never putted better. I, I don't even know who this Justin Rose is. I've, you know, I've always <laughs> I've always looked at him and thought, you know, it's a good thing. You know, people say you have to putt great at Augusta National. You, you know, you have to hit your irons great at Augusta National. And depending upon how well you hit your irons, you have a, a putt that is almost unto-puttable to a putt that is very makeable. You know, all 20-footers sure. at Augusta National are not created equal. Um, you just have to hit your irons great. And then, of course, yeah, you have to be – you know, a decent putter. You know, nobody's going to call Sergio Garcia a great putter ever. Um, nobody's ever going right. to call Bubba Watson a great putter ever. But, you know, here they are, you know, winning the Masters. So Justin Rose has never putted the ball better. Um, every single thing that he needs to be in order is in order. So, you know, if you had, if I had to go place a bet right now, I'd probably bet on Justin Rose to win the Masters. Wow, there's, there's, there's a pick right there. Um Last guy, Brandel, uh, Jason Day. Yeah, you know, look, if it rains, you know, he needs help. And if it if it rains, then the mistake that ordinarily is levied against his inaccuracy with his iron play is lessened. And it becomes, you know, a little softer golf course. And I, I mean, uh, yeah, actually it is softer, but it's softer on the mistake. You know, he makes so many mistakes of, of, you know, just in his iron play. You know, he just swings at it so hard that he doesn't have the nuances. And, you know, and he just, you know, he doesn't work the ball left or right or right to left or high or low. Um, you know, he's a brilliant putter and he's got plenty of power and he's got confidence to spare. But he needs a soft golf course to win there. And that could happen. It could absolutely happen. You know? <laughs> and as we sit here, he's 12th in the world. So, you know, um, I always say if, you know, if not them, then who, you know, it becomes a matter of who's right. going to beat them. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're not looking for, you know, you go down the list and you're like, well, every other player not ranked as high as him has holes in their game as well. But, you know, amongst those players that are ranked ahead of him, most of them have more control of their iron play than Jason Day does. And that is almost everything at Augusta National is how well you hit your iron shots. What Absolutely. about Justin Thomas? He's never really played that great, never had great finishes. I mean, he's only played twice there. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's still early uh, in his career. It's like he had never played that well at the match play either. Right. He right, only played right. a couple of times there. Um, Justin Thomas reminds me in so many ways of Johnny Miller. Um, you know, just mm. his ability to go low, his ability to shoot low scores, um, his success at a young age, just everything about him. But, um, you know, he needs, um, he needs better speed on the greens, you know. Um, you know, he, he hasn't shown an ability to putt well there. Um, just in general, uh, he needs a little better speed on the greens. Um, and he needs to avoid, you know, big numbers. You know, he's, uh, you know, if you're going to win at Augusta national, you can almost, if you make double bogey at Augusta national, you, you almost have zero chance of winning. I mean, if you make one double bogey, sure. And it's, it's not, it's not just the arithmetic. It's, it's what the double bogey says about you. You know, it says that you're out of position. You're prone to being out of position. And it says that, um, you know, you're making bad mistakes of judgment coming into greens. It says that your short game's not, not stellar. Uh, 
you know, you can go all the way back to 1997. So, you know, over 20 majors, uh, over 20 masters. Um, and there's only ever been by the winner going all the way back to 1997. There's only been three players that have ever made a double bogey that have gone on to win. And they've only made one each. So I mean, <laughs> that's a great just, stat. You just don't, you know, and they were, you know, Jordan Smith, Spieth made a double bogey in 2015, one when he won there. Trevor Immelman made a double bogey late on Sunday when he had about a seven shot lead. Uh, and Phil Mickelson in 2004 made a double bogey. But, you know, Woods, O'Meara, Jose Maria Alfabo, VJ Singh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, Mike Weir. I mean, none of them. Angel Cabrera, Schwartzel, Bubba, Adam Scott, Willett, uh, Garcia, none of them made double bogey. So, you know, Justin Thomas, you know, if not him, then who? I mean, he's certainly, you know, at the top of his career. He's doing everything he needs to do. Uh, but, uh, but he needs, you know, he tends to miss to the left. Um, missing left there is uh, is is obviously a huge penalty, but fearing missing to the left is is a softer penalty, but a penalty nonetheless. But uh, but otherwise, Justin Thomas appears to be you know the, everything you'd ever want. You know he's bold, he hits the ball high, he can work the ball every single direction. Um, he's uh, he's a marvelous driver of the golf ball. He's just uh, I'd say he you know he. He needs to have a little better speed on the greens um, and, you know, have a week where he doesn't miss too many shots to the left. And it's hard to talk about JT and not talk about Spieth, right? So I want to talk to you about Spieth's putting. We know that Augusta is the type of place. We see it with guys like Bernard Langer, Fred Couples, Phil, et cetera. Like guys, can, if, guys that know how to play Augusta can play well there, even if they're not potentially informed just by knowing where to hit it to your point is number one with speech putting I know there's been a lot of talk about that he looks tentative it doesn't look as smooth is there anything you see technically with the stroke I know he's talked a lot about alignment issues how do you feel about speech going in can he contend without being in great form well I don't I don't think so I don't think um, without being in great form he can contend you know most of the other players that we talk about where they don't need to be in great form. Well, it's not that many, really. You know, it's just a few, um, you know, Phil Mickelson or a Tiger Woods, and they have the advantage of dominating power, although Phil less so now. Um, so, you know, Jordan Spieth doesn't have the advantage of dominating power. He, he's not going to dominate the par fives with length. He, he dominates them with angle and great wedge shots and, and great putting. So, you know, when Jordan Spieth played, won there in 2015, um, nobody ever went into a tournament more in control of their game or in better form. I mean, if you remember the form he had going in there, he was almost winning every single golf tournament. He was driving the ball the best he's ever driven the ball. He was putting the ball the best he's ever putted the ball. Um, you know, he was fifth in strokes game putting when he was going to the Masters in 2015. He's 172nd right now. You know, his, you know, his, his lags were much, much better um, then than they are now. You know, his, his approach putting is not, not as good. And he's, he's not making putts over 10 feet. He, you know, he's struggling inside of 10 feet. He's struggling everywhere. So, you know, he's still hitting, you know, he's still driving the ball. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's still hitting his irons. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, he's not hitting him as well as he was last year. He drove down Magnolia Lane, but he still hits his irons beautifully. But uh, but he's you know he's really struggling on the greens, and you know that's uh, that's probably just enough to keep him from contending. I mean, it was it wouldn't surprise me if he finished 15th or you know 12th, um, but to have him contending on Sunday, uh, he's going to have to have figured something out in between now and when he gets to Augusta, you know, his stroke is, is, is awfully quick. You know, it's, it's one of the quicker strokes, you know, backstrokes, forward strokes, um, that I've ever seen actually, you know, and, uh, you know, when you see people with strokes that are that quick, um, typically, 
you know, they're going to, they're going to suffer with inconsistencies. And he's in one of those downturns right now with his, with his putter. Yeah. Brando, it's just amazing. Even with his struggles now that he, what he was able to do a few years ago to shoot 18 under 18 under and, and to tie tiger's record. I mean, it's just crazy to think about when he's not the high ball, sh- you know, shot shaper cut corner guy, you know, that we talk about like the other guys true. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, but but no, I mean he he's he's very underrated in his ball striking. Uh, he is he is the player that can work the ball both directions. He is the player that can work it low. Um, he very much is. You know, at Augusta National, you have to be able to work the ball off of you know downhill lies, side hill lies, uphill sure. lies. You have to be able to swing across the slopes. You know, because you have to spin the ball the opposite direction of the slope. Like you think about it, off a of one, you've got a hook lie. But you've got to be able to hit a high cut off of off of one, off the fairway. Same thing on 13. You know, you got a hook lie, but you've got to be able to hit a high cut. So you have to be able to swing left. You have to be able to swing across the slope and hit a high cut, you know, off a hook lie. Uh, and you're asked to do this, you know, all the time. You know, I mean, you need to hit sort of a high draw, high soft draw into five. But, you know, you've got the ball sort of below your feet. So you got to figure out a way, you know, to swing the opposite direction of the slope and still have control. And Jordan Spieth can do that. I mean, he's a fabulous iron player, um, fabulous. You know, he's just he's got a very similar release, uh, you know, of uh, with his irons and you know, with through the ball as Jack Nicklaus did, as Tiger Woods did. You know, just not a not a lot of flip, um, just a very stable release. He's capable of hitting the ball very high. He's capable of putting a lot of spin on the ball. You know, one of the things that is great about Augusta National is it doesn't measure up with the trend in golf right now. You know, the trend in golf right now is to hit the ball high with very little spin. But Augusta National doesn't reward high little spin shots, very little spin shots. I mean, you have to, yeah, high for sure, but you've got to have a fair amount of spin on the golf ball. Uh, both on your tee shots and, and obviously on your approach shots. So, you know, this this tendency to sort of lean back and hit the ball up in the air uh, is not rewarded at Augusta National. You know, players who win there are players who sort of cover the ball. You know, they're right on top of it, and they've got complete control. And Jordan Spieth is certainly that. Uh, he's a marvel to watch hit golf shots, absolute marvel. So, Brando, you said that your favorite – this week is probably Justin Rose. Do you have a dark horse that the wagerists out there can keep their eye on? Yeah. I mean, there are no dark horses that, I mean, if you want me to come up with, you know, a dark horse, you know, I mean, you, you start getting into, you know, Alex Noren or Carol Hatton or, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, but I mean, they're, they're not dark horses. They're in the top 20 in the world. If, if I wanted to go down and pick somebody, you know, who's outside, you know, I always have this when I'm on the set and people are like, all right, we're going to have a dark horse pick. I'm like, well, all right, let's define what a dark horse is, first of all. And for me, a dark horse at Augusta National is, you know, somebody outside the top 25 players in the world. Um, you know, and, and you know, it's it, it gets pretty slim pickings when you start to think of all the things that you need. Um you know, so that gets to a Louis Oosthuizen, you know, who's 32nd in the world right now. You know, and, and I think beyond that, there's just, you know, I, I might go Patrick Cantlay because of how mature he is and how competitive he is. Um, but, you know, when you start to look down after that, it's like, you know, they've got to have everything going. Um, you know, um, who else would I pick? Uh, you know. Um, I, you know, Rory McIlroy, you know, I can't wait to see if Rory McIlroy has any semblance of the putty stroke that he had at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, um, then it's, you know, it's going to be very hard to beat Rory McIlroy. You know, he's it was unbelievable. Uh, it, it was like that putting stroke and his, um, uh, it was like all of the angst in his golf game looked like it just got completely diffused. Yeah. You know, as the week went on, you know, he was much, much sharper uh, with his iron plays, much, much sharper with the scoring clubs, he was much sharper with driving the golf ball. You know, he looked exactly like the Rory McIlroy 
that came out on the tour and, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. It's like, oh, where, where has Rory McIlroy been? You know, it's as his, as his putting skills decayed, I think it caused, you know, a lot of frustration, obviously. And then it was a huge distraction, you know, and, and, you know, I think he spent more time trying to figure out his putting and it weighed on him. And it, it, it certainly, I think, caused other elements of his game to sort of fall off. And, you know, everything came together at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. If the guy who won the Arnold Palmer Invitational shows up at Augusta National, well, you know, then everybody else is going to have a really hard time beating Roy McIlroy. If you had to predict, um, who who would get their, their next major first? Do you think it would be Tiger or Phil, depending on what we know about them now? Well, I, I would I would have to say Tiger, um, only because you know history's history's just not uh, is not very kind to forty seven year old men. You know, there's only ever sure. been you know one winner of a major championship older than Phil Mickelson, and that was Julius Burroughs fifty years ago at the PGA Championship. Yep. You know, which is you know, given the hot temperatures of, of that time of year, I mean, the golf courses are typically set up a lot softer and they become less a test of nerve and more a test of, you know, just, uh, you know, fates of the gods, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, having said that, you know, players are doing more and more at older ages now, but I would have to go with Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, Tiger's uh, still putting the ball beautifully. He's got a heck of a lot more club head speed than, than Phil Mickelson. You know, Phil is, you know, even though he's, he's, he's trying as hard as he can to sort of swing the golf club faster and faster and faster. I see him on the range going through these you know, yeah. weighted clubs, swinging as hard yeah. as he can before he plays, doing the best he can. He has managed to pick up a mile or two over last year, mile per hour, but he's still 115 miles an hour, whereas Tiger Woods 121. I mean, that matters. I mean, it just, it, it matters Absolutely. in every conceivable way, not only in just distance off the tee, but, you know, you've got much more trajectory coming into greens because you hit the shorter clubs. And, um, you know, I, I would have to say Tiger gets his, and I, you know, again, I've never, ever, I thought Tiger, I never thought Tiger would win, have a chance to win another major. I, I almost didn't right. think he'd have a chance to win another tournament. Um, and right. I just, I, I couldn't be more flabbergasted with, the play of Tiger Woods. I just never, ever thought I'd see this again out of him. So speaking of Tiger winning, we know you said that you could fix Tiger's driving woes in, you know, just a couple minutes. Uh, how many fairways, let's talk fairways for a second. How many fairways do you think Tiger has to hit per day? And we, can, we can go per day on average at Augusta to have a shot at winning. And how important is that? Yeah, it's usually important. Uh, he needs to hit nine and a half a day. Um, you know, he needs to hit 38 to have, you know, a chance. You know, one of the reasons Dustin Johnson doesn't want it as national is, and, you know, people love to say that, you know, driving is not that important at Augusta National, but it's just, it absolutely is. Uh, you start, I mean, you start missing a lot of fairways there and you're bringing big numbers into play. Um, and Dustin Johnson has made, you know, on average more than two double bogeys to others per week. So, you know, if, if, if Tiger is having these big misses off of the tee when he gets there, then, you know, then his chances are, they're pretty much gone. So he needs to hit about nine and a half fairways, you know, on average, which are getting to 38 fairways. Um, and that's, that's sort of, you know, that's 36, 38 fairways. If he keeps it in that area, that's easily doable, you know? And, and I say that, you know, because if you're hitting 36, 38 fairways, then your misses are not going to be that bad. But if you, if you're hitting 30 fairways, say, you know, and, and it, it's only a fairway or two a day, right? That is difference, but that's such a huge difference. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and the thing about Tiger is he's pretty comfortable hitting these cuts off the tee. He drives it better when he's trying to hit a cut shot. So that works well on a number of holes, obviously. You know, number one, it works well. Um, number eight, it works well. 
works well off number 11, you know, beautiful off 15 and 18. But, you know, it's the draws that give him a lot more trouble. So I'm curious. You know, I doubt he'll pull driver out off a of 2T the whole week. But if he ever got in a scenario or a situation where he was driving the ball well enough to pull driver out off a of 2T, you know, that's the Tiger Woods that I'd like to see play golf again. Um, you know, that's that's the Tiger Woods that won by 15 shots. The, the Tiger that could hit driver off to take it off the right bunker and draw it around the corner. And if he did that swinging 121, 122 miles an hour, he'd have a mid-iron to that green. And it'd be game over. But I think he'll play far more defensive off to – he's very comfortable and he can do it pretty easily hitting his three-wood off of 13 and drawing it around the corner. Same thing's true at 14. Um, you know, there's just a, there's a couple of key drives for Tiger. Off of two, for sure. What he does off of three will be, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see his strategy off three. I'm curious to see uh, his strategy off of 10 um, and uh, and what he does on 13. Those are key drives for him. As much as anything, they'll say a lot about, you know, the confidence that he has in his golf swing. Randall, I mean, as we all know, Tigers won four green jackets with three different swings, and he's probably had five different swings on the tour. The swing he has now, um, how do you compare it to the Butch swing? Or the Hank swing, does it is it, is it, is it close? Yeah. Well, the thing about Tiger is, you know, look, we criticize him or we're confounded by him changing his golf swing. But the fact is, every time he changed his golf swing, with the exception of the swing that he made under Sean Poley, he got better. You know, he was he was a better player in 2000 than he was in 96, 97. Um, he was a better player under Hank Haney than he was under Butch Harmon. There's just no two ways about it. You know, he won 33% sure. of the golf tournaments under Hank Haney. Um, you know, he was, he was, he was a better player. Uh, how would I compare the swing he has now? Well, you know, he, uh, it's nowhere near as good. I mean, it's headed in that direction. Sure. Uh, this golf swing is, uh, has the potential to be, it has the potential to be the, third best golf swing he's ever had because, you know, the golf swing under Hank Haney, um, you know, it was his most consistent The golf swing he had under Butch Harmon was his most dominating or most explosive. I should say the, the second one under Butch. Um, but this one has the potential to be right there with it. He still drops down in the second half of his backswing. People love to say, well, you know, lots of people drop down, but, but Tiger did not drop down. Uh, right. under Butch and he didn't drop down and I'm talking about I'm not talking about when he changes direction I'm not talking about when he starts moving towards the target even even as he's completing his backswing he'll start moving towards the target I call that the downswing I mean that's when the transition starts I'm just talking about when he moves his first part of his backswing and the second part of his backswing you know the takeaway and the second part of his backswing if he would stay taller and you know, he's done a great job of shifting to the right and he's staying taller than he was at the beginning of the year, but he's still dropping down substantially in the second half of his backswing. And that creates and leads to so many problems. And it's that one move. If he could eliminate it from the last time we saw him play, if he shows up at Augusta national and he is maintaining his height, but it's not just his height. He was not only dropping down, he was moving closer to the golf ball. So right. you got to have room to do your work. And if you're decreasing the amount of room, you have to do your work. You have to make all these other compensations. So Tiger would make compensations by jumping up and, and jumping out of the shot, which causes a host of problems. It causes the clubs to drop to the inside, get underneath the plane. And if Tiger Woods is maintaining his height in the second half of his backswing, then he's got room to do his work and you know, he'll drive the ball beautifully and he'll win his fifth masters. Um, and that's, that's pretty much all he's got to do. And it's not that hard. It's really not. When I said, you know, I, I fixed Tiger Woods in two minutes. That was allowing for again, one sure. minute of us screaming at each other. 
you saw with his right foot, he's opening his right foot now to dress, and that's helping him load. And that's making a huge difference, the way he's being able to attack the golf ball. Yeah, I mean, right foot flare is so important because it allows you to turn, you know, your 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 leg clockwise in the backswing, which is huge, you know, it, it, which allows you to get your hip behind you and get your right hip behind you and allows you to load into your right side. So, yeah, I'm, you know, it's, it's, he's made remarkable changes to his golf swing just since the Genesis. You know, by the time he got to Honda, his golf swing was completely different. And by the time he got to Valspar, it was completely different. It was like the one piece of the puzzle. The only thing left is for him to, you know, and if, look, if I was talking to him, I would say you need to feel like the back of your neck and your takeaway moves up to the right. You know, it's as simple as that. You know, all you have to do is go, go look at Jack Nicholas in slow motion and watch how his head moves up and to the right in his backswing. And and it's it's not just peculiar to Jack Nicholas. Annika Sornstan did the same thing, you know. Sure. And then long driving, Jamie Sidlowski did it. So there you have arguably the greatest female player of all time, arguably the greatest male player of all time, and arguably the longest hitter in the history of golf, all three had this move, you know, all three where they moved up off of the golf ball. And the reason it's so important is one, it gives you room to do your work Two, It allows you a free ride on the way down free ride. You've got two ways to create speed in this game, muscle and gravity. And those that drop down in their backswing rely then solely on muscle. But if you, if you, if you have an up move in your backswing, then you get to drop down. You're literally allowing gravity to help you uh, accumulate speed. So you've got gravity that gives you a free ride down, and then you can use your muscle. And you've got the combination of those two. There's no question. If you go back and look at how far Jack hit it, how far Annika hit it, Annika improved her driving distance You know, uh, by the most mind-boggling um, numbers that I've ever seen. To see someone go from a middle-of-the-road middle of the, you know, middle distance player to become the longest hitter on the respective tour. I mean, that's just never done. And, and she did it and that's why she dominated. So Tiger did it in 2000. He maintained his height and more than that, his head didn't move. His body carriage didn't move towards the ball. Didn't move towards the target line in his backswing. You got to get it moving, at least stay stable, but ideally move up and away from the target line all right brandon we got one more for you we're gonna bookend this interview we started with some fun we're gonna end with some fun okay Okay. we asked this to keith mitchell he had a very strong opinion and um we wanted to hear yours so you know i you can say thanks to us you can thank us later off air but you know we're growing the game (laughs) and uh we've got three ways three initiatives that we think can grow it even more so number one Patrick Reed, wardrobe, Sunday restrictions. No red and black on Sundays. It's done. He's a Nike guy now. Tiger's back. Enough's enough. Patrick Reed no longer can wear red and black. That's number one. Number two, walk-up songs. Okay? Keith made a good point. He said, can't do it on the tee box. Not enough time between players. Tee boxes are too close. You got to do the closest guy. And they tested this in Kansas City. The closest uh, shot on a par three, they get their song played as they're walking up the green. And number three, mic'd up caddies. What do you think? Mic'd up caddies. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, think about it, Brandon. <laughs> wow. I, we have all three of them. Um, you know, one, I, I look, I, I, I think uh, golf needs sort of a bad boy, you oh. know, and Patrick Reed in the nicest possible way it fills that bad boy. Like, you know, in golf, he's our bad boy. Right. And, and what does he do? This bad, nothing. Actually, he's, he's, as time's gone on, he's become a fabulous sort of, uh, um, media darling, you know I mean? He's, he's interesting to watch. And when he's got the red and black on, I think he, he does it out of respect to Tiger Woods. At least that's the way I take it. It's like, you know, one guy has got the, um, you know, the, the, the guts, I guess, to wear a Tiger Woods outfit on Sunday, you know, in no way, shape or form. I mean, nobody is Tiger Woods. Nobody does well in that comparison, but, 
but I love that he does it. And I even think Tiger loves that he does it. You know, it's like, it's like a tip of the cap to Tiger Woods. Um, and the walk-up song is like, you know, the, uh, I think my, my good buddy, Eamon Lynch called, uh, you know, this, this invigorated fan that's following the game and yelling out all these ridiculous things when players hit, he called them golf bros. Um, <laughs> and when you do the walk-up song, you're, you're playing into the golf bros hand. Um, you're, you're invigorating the golf bros, you know, and I think the game of golf should do everything they can to sort of, uh, quash the golf bros. I think the game of golf is a lot better off of golf bros. They got to get these guys under control. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I don't I don't even know how you do it. I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, you want fans out there. You want, you know, golf has always had, you know, its own sort of audience. It's not the typical sports fan. It's just not. And if people say they want to grow the game, well, that means they want people coming to the game who are not golfers. And so, you know, this is like golf's own version of cognitive dissonance. You know, you hold in your mind two mutually exclusive ideas just as fervently. And it's like, they don't go together. Sure. Um, and then Mike and up the caddies, look, I'm, I already think there's way too much conversation between player and caddy. I mean, when a, when a player walks up to a golf ball, I mean, as he walks up to the golf ball, he knows what shot to hit. He knows what club to hit. He knows, you know, he knows within a yard or two how far it is. He knows all these things instinctively. I think one of the worst things in golf is player caddy conversations. You know, it they they go on too long. Um, you know, they they you know I I I think the timidity of of golf professionals. You know, they've they've turned over their swing to swing instructors, their body to trainers, their mind to sports psychologists now they're 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 turning over their strategy to a caddy it's like no you're the player you're the genius you're the one that you know knows what your body chemistry is doing it's like you you know you're the one that can figure the shot out yeah do you need to every now and then bounce an idea off somebody who's just as vested in the outcome as as you are sure but these 20 second you know conversations that go on between player and caddy Sure. I think it's one of the worst things in the game of golf right now. Evan, I don't know how you feel about that. You want the mic'd up caddies, but Brandel's saying they just need to cut the BS and hit it. Yeah, I want you it. I, want, I like that conversation. <laughs> I agree with them. You know, it's probably better for their game, yeah. but for the viewer, I want it. So we, we yeah. might have to talk hey, off air about that, Brandel, but it's all good. When you're doing a broadcast and, you know, when a player and a caddy are having a conversation, you know, you lay out, right? Because... You know, you, you want to hear what they're saying. You know, you you want to hear, you know, because it is compelling. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we get to get inside here and, you know, know what the yardage is and, you know. Um, and I I have I have been involved in some nice conversations. Of course, I've, I've heard some very compelling. I watched a caddy talk a player into going for a shot over water out of the rough um, where – you know, I was going to win the tournament if, if, if he hit it in the water. And I, I was convinced if this caddy was talking to him and going for this shot out of the, out of the rough over the water, I was convinced the caddy was talking to him into hitting it in the water and I was going to win. And it was Stuart Sink. It was his first win. It was Hartford. Uh, he drove it on 17 up on the bank. And I mean, his caddy absolutely talked to him into hitting the shot and he pulled it off and he won. And, you know, yeah, so that was, I mean, it was, it was great conversation. So yeah, there's times <laughs> for it, but if you mic caddies up, you're encouraging these exchanges between caddy and player. And I think they're, while they're useful sometimes, for the most part, the player knows exactly what he needs to do. Almost the second he hit the tee ball, he's going to know how far it is you know, where the wind's coming from, all the nuances of the shot. And the more instinctual a player gets, the better he's going to be. Randall, you've got the par train mojo, so you're probably going to have the greatest broadcast of your career. We want you to have a great week. And Thank you so thanks. much for We're coming aboard. The greatest Masters We're of all not. time. We're not going to be there, unfortunately, but it is our goal to get there next year. Well, I'll be reading your tweets. Love um, <laughs> And Thank you. Uh, if it if it even has a chance of being the greatest Masters of all time, I'll I'll give a nod to uh, your prediction. Uh, 
Well, you, thank you. You, you might have said it first. What, back in December? Back in December. That's, yeah. That's fine <laughs> prognosticating out of you. That's what we do. <laughs> Love it. All right, thanks, Brandel. We appreciate Cheers. you coming on. You have a great week next week. Thanks, Brandel. You guys. You All guys right, take, take care. care. Enjoyed it. Cheers.